0: you we'll
1: Welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are myself, Carol Talon, and beside me is Brian Fox.
0: Thanks, Carol. And uh, we have an interesting lineup ahead with some great guests, and we hope we'll have a we'll show with a different side of the property market. But I think we should look first at some of the big property stories of the past week. And it was interesting... Um, most of these stories were covered in all the national media, but uh, the median asking price for new home sales is two hundred and seventy-one k or thousand, uh, which is quite accurate nationally and 380,000 uh, 380, in Dublin. Uh, and that's according to the latest residential property price report from um, MyHome.ie. So obviously a significant drop in uh, the asking price for new home sales, and then looking at new and then on top of that as well, there's a rise uh, in new um, in the number of new mortgage approvals in February, which is interesting, despite the fact that uh, the median price is is coming down. Um, The other aspect, too, uh, in terms of um, renting, is that uh, rents have risen nationally by 7% and uh, there is signs that 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 rate is slowing down that's coming from the the, uh, rental um, the RTB Uh, 1 in 10 people spending over 60% of an income on rent in Ireland which is a hugely significant number and of course the on-running story is uh, most people are quite well aware of this Um, Housing Minister Owen Murphy has described as deeply shocking that the combined number of of homeless people is now at 10,000 and uh, living in emergency accommodation in 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 ireland um a significant rise of 277 people from january and the other interesting story uh, from from our point of view carol is this one that's just i think it came out yesterday as duny rathdown county council has decided to drop ongoing plans for traveller uh, travel housing uh, housing in mount Marion here quite close to where, where, where we're stationed here and um Josephine Madigan actually in her um, she has often been highlighted in her uh, in her uh, in her as, as part of the decision, because of the fact that in her in running for the local election, uh, she actually inserted that in her uh, in her um, publicity, you know. So go ahead, and,
1: and it only took three decades to say no. So well, I'm, I'm calling that a win.
0: You're going, yes, yeah, a win.
1: So uh, one of the other things, one of the interesting things that came out, um, contrary to perceptions, the rate of homeownership in the Republic corresponds very closely with the international average, according to the OECD. And also some good news for the industry or mixed news I suppose for the industry the price of development sites steadies as the build costs are starting to bite and this is before we know what the Brexit uncertainty is going to bring um, going back to the journal they actually reported on what they quoted as a national scandal now the government and the housing minister in particular actually defended the housing record but has said that we need more landlords um, a local Dublin story Karen Homes gets to go ahead they had planning for 22 houses in Rathgar they can now go ahead with 107 apartments instead which will be good news for the market there if in fact they go to buyers and investors locally as opposed to going in a job lot from um, on the investment side of things so one of the interesting things that came up this week Dublin City Council favours a radical new housing model now it's favouring this model which is called a Vienna model model and it's a move away from home ownership um, more towards a cost rental model. Now it, what I would recommend to anybody who has an interest in this, the Vienna model of housing will be the subject of a month long exhibition taking place from um, it starts on the 1st of April and it runs through to the 25th at the CHQ in Dublin Stocklands. It's also available in the, res- in the Rediscovery Centre in Ballymun and in the Richmond Barracks in Ingecore so I recommend if this is something you have an interest in, go along and, and take a look at that. So, in studio.
0: Well, let's let's look at have, let's look at this new uh, segment. We'll start. This is to do with reporting from uh, the Roxas this week, and um, I suppose one of the more interesting ones that that, that happened this afternoon was a joint committee uh, meeting on finance, public expenditure, and reform, and the Taoiseach. Um it was a very interesting uh, meeting in that um, the background to this bill is called um, a "no uh, no concept, no sale" bill. It's actually proposed by the uh, parties for that spokesperson, and the Doyle has voted in the past. I think it was back in January in favour of a proposed uh, Sinn Féin bill, as I say, to restrict banks from selling residential mor- mortgages without the written consent of the borrower. Now, the problem with this one is that it's been reported that the central bank warned the Department of Finance that the bill could trigger unintended consequences. So an increase in interest rates. Now, there was a lot of discussion on this day. There was a lot of representatives from various parties in the in, at the committee meeting this afternoon. And John Mingeness was very bullish in relation to representing the uh, homeowner at home home buyer. And I must say, the banks, the central bank was very very much on the defensive in relation to um, how the banks are dealing with with. with um, our homeowner or home buyers, should I say, at the moment. So it'll be very interesting. They were pressed at the very end, uh, in terms of um, getting clarity from the central bank on um on whether or not this is unconstitutional. And um they batted off by saying that's the responsibility of the Attorney General. I didn't want to go into that territory. But they did sort of in a in a in a bleak sort of way agree that um it could be um, unconstitutional now I just wanted to look to look at another bill as well which uh, has been um, discussed in the um, Doyle and that is this one called um, the uh, let me see I have it here now
1: I love this there's so much being discussed there's so, there's there's so, so many houses and so I mean
0: it's, a, it's a very discussed. good idea because I mean there is an awful lot of, of, of business now in relation to uh, various aspects of property in the door. This one is called the Residential Tenancies uh, Amendment uh, 2018. It's an act. Uh, it's a bill actually to, uh, to amend the Residential Territories Acts of 20- 2004 to 2016 to provide for powers to carry out investigations of landlords and impose administrative sanctions, to provide for offences in relation to non-compliance with rent increase restrictions and rent in rent pressure zones and to increase the, pub- the notice periods to provide in the case of a termination of a tenancy by a landlord, to provide for annual registration by landlords of tenancies and to amend and the registration process to provide also for mandatory publication of termination orders by the residential tenancies order board excuse me and to provide for related matters now it was it was very interesting it was a very short lived discussion in the um, in in this, in the Shannon because uh, mo- all of the parties agreed to it now there was one sort of hiccup in relation to it and that is that they are not quite sure how to deal with um, with people that have not engaged with banks and that is one of the I'm not going through the, through the various clauses now because there's quite a number mm. of them we just don't have the time but if anybody's interested in looking at the bill it's clause number four which uh, to matters which the court have regard for the purpose of subsection including the following and I won't go through the following okay, but, Brian, it, but what it is,
1: stage what stage is that at? It's only
0: committee stage well it's going to committee stage and it's, it's as I say it's got, it has to go back to the law. it, it it's got, has, to, has an enormous journey to take before it becomes into law you but it be- has been very interesting from, that, from the point of view and it also brings in the PIPs as well the personal insolvency Arrangements and all that. All I'm going to say is that the discussion itself was uh, all-party agreement on it, and as such, it was very imp- very interesting from the point of view of trying to uh, amend the legislation to. Um, look after those that are in that are in trouble um, and have been you know have, have gone to the course about it and, and doing the right thing about it but also try and appease those that haven't. Okay. So that's it for this week. We'll have more next week as well.
1: Okay you might bring us a, just a, a watching brief on that maybe Absolutely. next week as well. Thank you Brian. Okay so our first guest in studio today is Gary Connolly founder and president of Host in Ireland. Gary you're very welcome to Property Matters today.
2: Thank you so much for the
1: invite. And Gary you might just explain because over the last number of weeks um data centers in the in the context of the construction industry, um it's been it's been in the news quite a lot. So you might just explain what exactly Host in Ireland is or what it does? Mm.
2: I suppose you better get an understanding of what the uh, host in Ireland does. You have to understand what the asset class we're dealing with. So I guess data centres have been around in different guises since we had a floppy disk. And even before that, we had a hard disk. So if you can imagine to the listeners, back in the 80s, you had a floppy disk. In the 90s, you had a fob, maybe even a a, a CD-ROM in between. They're all disappeared. And you wonder, well, where have they gone? They've actually gone to a data centre. So when you're actually talking about a data center, you're actually talking about all that media that you used to use in a central location, otherwise called a cloud. Okay, so,
1: so all the talk about the cloud, the cloud actually is situated uh, the,
2: somewhere. The, huh? the, the a cloud is actually something physical, and it starts with your handset, it starts with your device, then goes through your wireless connection. And where the data rests, where it's stored, where it's exported, where it's manipulated, is in a server, and that's in a data center. Um, and when you think about data, you then automatically think about Ireland. And when you think about Ireland, and particularly for the large customers who are growing uh, constantly, the Mi- Microsofts, the Amazons, the Googles, um, you think about the forefathers of them, IBM, Digital, Nixdorf. Mm. They've been in Ireland for f- 70 years. You know, Dell, Gateway, all these other companies came after them, Informix. So the relationship with data, data data-related jobs, data-related services and Ireland goes back 70 years. And therefore, the evolution of the floppy disk, as I say, is now the cloud. The cloud needs centres to live in, and that's why Ireland, or should I say the Metro Dublin, um, uh, is now recognised as the largest data centre cluster in Europe, bar none. So that's an important thing when we're talking to people about, you know, this new industry. It's mm-hmm. actually just the newest manifestation of the data industry.
0: Okay, most people associate data centers now with, with specific companies like Google and Yahoo, but are there others
2: then involved with with uh, with, with, with centers? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, they're the they're the big shiny pins. Yeah. They're like the pennies and the, da- the you know the, the the big brands. But you've got so many of the other guys who are smaller and more concessionary. If you were doing the analogy of retail. Okay. Um, but what's very important is that uh, not all data is the same different types of data need different types of centers some of Can it Can I
1: l- ask you to explain that yeah, actually
2: Yeah well if you consider you know if you started a new business today there is absolutely no way that the venture capitalists or others are going to give you money to buy servers and buy software and buy all that. You would go automatically to an Amazon, Google, Microsoft or an as-a-service. Why? Because the risk for the, of failure is very high and they don't want to be left with a load of tin and capital tied up. So that's why the Airbnbs of this world, by the Ubers and that, they have just been born on the cloud, okay. they don't own that much kit. Can you can you rent then from from? But that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Netflix, right. for instance, when you when you consider, I'm often asked about uh, Netflix, Airbnb, Uber, and all the rest of it. They live in one of the Amazon or the the Microsoft data centers. They're virtually renting space. They're virtually renting, and it's the optimum way. It's it's the new way of doing things as a service, as I need it. Therefore, you don't over purchase, deploy capital when you don't need it. But there's a whole lot of old data that is private data that's, you know, in companies that they don't want to migrate automatically onto Amazon or Google or one of those platforms. And that's why, to answer your question, like retail, there are different sizes. There are ones that are like Ikea. In, if I bring that re- that retail analogy, mm-hmm. Ikea will be an Amazon or a Google. They design their own, they build their own, they operate their own. Then you've got other guys who just want to get data away from their own premises, but they don't want to design and build their own, and they go to a likes of an Equinix or an Interxion or a digital realty, where they'll rent a room to you or they'll rent a rack to you. So, depending on your what data… What's a rack? Iraq is is like a door frame with a lot of servers. Oh it's see. your private area. Yeah. yeah. And and it's, so it's m-
1: almost like a safety deposit box. For, for your data.
2: data. Effectively, it's it's and it's a great analogy because what we talk about often is sort of well, why would you not have your data in a secure, bomb-proof, twenty-four-seven uh, security location when you could have it on your own premises? Well, the re- reality is, is you go home at five o'clock, mm. and that's your business sitting mm. in the corner for a security guard or for mm. a cleaning person or some unauthorized person to literally put them under their arm. So you've got the you've got the economics of it. And you've also the physical security, the protection, of the physical security. But I presume
1: a huge amount of this is um, the change in data laws as well. So, for example, these companies that you're talking about, it's not their data. They're holding their clients' data or their consumers' data or their partners, uh, their business partners' data. They're
2: providing a platform for you to actually then rent. Mm -hmm. And the same way as a a landlord would rent you your space. um, Within the four walls of your private area, you do what you want. You're responsible for your data. Mm -hmm. They're providing you with the platform. So that brings us into the centre itself. You know, I'm so glad we started with that discussion because often people forget that these are the factories of the current industrial revolution. Uh And it's recognised that we're now well into the fourth industrial revolution. And whereas the first one and the second one was all about coal and steel and and, and steam, the second one was all about um, automation, the third one was all about uh, actual computers and automation, now what we're in is that every industry in every sector micro or macro, is run, defined by data. So guess what? Everybody is generating data. Everybody's making decisions on data, and they have to go somewhere, and that's a centre. So how does this apply now to real estate? Well, it's, it's, it's data centres now are recognised um, as a genuine asset class. So where you had before, uh, let's call it the dot-com bubble, where we had a run at this before, um, the centres themselves were big and strong and all the rest, but we didn't have enough devices to actually generate the content. We had Nokia 5310 yeah. mobile phones. Knock yourself out with a million, billion uh, text messages. In terms of your direct question, in the same way, we're evolving now into the second and third generation of data centers, and now it's been recognized as part of fundamental infrastructure. So what you're starting to see very much is that now that the, the money guys realize this is not going away, you've got the same groups that are, are investing in bridges, rail, road, and other forms of real estate investing in data centers, because da, um, data
1: centers were proposed to be, for it to become or to be classed as strategic infrastructure last year. Mm. Did that happen? Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, in, it, uh, particularly in terms of planning, so well, for example, um, scale. of um, yeah. the
2: really, really, really big ones. Okay, it is. Is it's still okay. gone through the process of being seen as a strategic infrastructure. Okay. Um, but it, it's interesting. The reason that that happened was because of a a, uh, a number of issues with regard to Apple in Galway Um, but it's important always to to note there was 300 megawatts of data centres in Ireland before Apple, there have been 300 megawatts of data centres after Apple, and there are now 600 more megawatts under development after Apple. So I mean, I, I think that we can all learn, both the purchaser and the location, as to the right way, in the right order, with the right people. And I think mistakes were made in, in, in a number of places, it's not what, just
0: it's okay, Though It all sounds very exciting, but what yeah. sort of, I mean, obviously you have to have a fairly fairly, si- fairly good-sized business to, to become, become involved with this or
2: what sort of This is an interesting of? question because, because in, in any emerging space um, you, you can either have a known, you, you can have a unique selling point from your actual delivery model. You could be very lean yourself, and I think one of the things to remember is that the data center this wave of data centers started around 2012, and at a time in Ireland when companies were on their knees. The actual interesting thing was a lot of the big uh, construction companies now, Colin Mercury, Ethos, you know the consultancy companies, the, the even the, the new emerging. Um, QS companies like uh, Mitchell McDermott or Kirby's of these, they actually started to ramp up rapidly because they saw that data centers as an asset class was exportable. Because that's the other thing is that there's really probably maximum in the world 10 companies that are dominating this space Microsoft, Google, Apple, Facebook, etc. And then the three guys over in APAC, which are companies that are bigger than those ones, Mm -hmm. but we don't see them Alibaba, Tencent, Baudu. That's where we talk about Ireland. The real economic benefit to Ireland actually is it's multiple. You know, the assets here mean that they have direct and indirect jobs. If you look at some of the manufacturing, that goes on. You then have to look at, to your point, the Data Privacy Act. Mm -hmm. And actually what's more interesting isn't so much the whole data privacy and GDPR, it's actually the whole English-speaking common law. That's actually as important. So we're running out of time. Where do you commit yeah. to this? So what we do is we, we basically <clears throat> try and top and tail it to, to be able to demonstrate to the world that Ireland is, is an optimal place to rest your data. And data is what we spoke most about. And if you need to put your data into Europe, you put it into Ireland, and then ultimately, to keep the rain out, you've got to build a centre and that's our role. We try and bring together the whole community. So promote Ireland, bring data, and then promote the Irish people and the skills to export all over Europe.
1: I think that's a really interesting one in terms of um, the construction side of it because am I right in saying that a lot of these um, data centres, they're essentially identical. So uh, they're identical to each other for a particular client which means, you know, if you have a client and they have a data centre in Denmark, they say, well, we want exactly the same one in Ireland and exactly the same one in other parts of the world. So, the who's building those? Yeah,
2: in the main. Your answer is right and wrong. Your answer is absolutely right if it's built within a certain s- sequence, but the, every iteration is becoming more and more efficient. Okay. When 70% of your your operating expense is energy, every iteration of the centre becomes much, much more efficient, energy efficient. The second thing is that whoever has built the first and built the relationships, it's no different than if you got a contract to build in Dublin for a certain client and he was building all over Limerick you're going to get first dibs but I'd
1: imagine it goes beyond relationship to expertise because this is such a niche area
2: yeah these are the mission critical engines of what these businesses are doing Um, so therefore when you actually build relationships and the guys know what they're doing and they know the criticalness of it the kit is actually the easy bit the assembly of it is actually the skill. And that's why you're seeing the likes of the Meccanilec and the consultants growing at such a base Excellent. all over Europe.
1: Excellent. Um, Gary, we're going to, because this is such a huge issue and there's so many elements to break down. So, for example, like you started with the data today mm. and we want to move on to the construction side of it. Um, actually, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be putting together a bit of a roundtable discussion right. on air here where we're going to get experts from various parts feeding into the data data centre Wonderful. sector because we want to break this down. We want to understand it better because I think it's one of the lesser um, known elements or sectors of the construction industry and yet the growth um, the growth potential is huge. So where are, where are the figures landing for 2019?
2: This year will be similar to last year where Ireland will be about 1% of the global demand which is around 1.3 billion euros. Globally there's 122 billion projected for data centres. There hasn't been such an asset class build on an ongoing basis since oil and gas because oil and gas were a big part of the last industrial revolution. Data is the um, driver of this revolution Um, and that is sort of, at the moment we're looking at uh, around 1.2 to 1.3 billion. We're small beer then really, aren't we? No, 1% is a fairly significant significant chunk when you consider we're not even 1% of the population of Europe. Right. (laughs) Well,
1: in the next couple of weeks we're going to have a roundtable discussion about this and we're going to break it down and see exactly what the potential um, and the future prospects are. So that was Gary Connolly thank you so much for coming in founder and president of Host in Ireland. So um, next up after a quick break we'll be joined in studio by Joe McGinley CEO of Iconic Offices. Everything's fine on
3: 93.9 Dublin South FM
1: Okay, welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon and Brian Fox you can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or email hello at ipropertyradio.com
0: Well as I mentioned before the break we have Joe McGinley now who's CEO of Iconic Offices and uh, we're delighted to have you here Joe thank you for coming in Thank you Let me ask you I'm going to ask you beginning beginning this particular question how do you um, go about identifying co-working trends within the office sector?
3: Oh, I suppose it's just looking around what we're seeing every day in the market in Dublin. Um, so we have over two thousand members in our in our buildings in Dublin, so I suppose they're the, they're the best possible uh, people for feedback. Um, we'd also attend a lot of uh, international events uh, as well as checking out what our European uh, competitors are doing. yeah, well like
0: you really you've hit my next question then really, which is about trends because I have um, friends that are working in, um, in London and New York in the legal and banking areas. And this, this seems now that banks are trying to uh, get their uh, office workers as much out of the offices and, and, and work at home as opposed to come into the you know expensive offices and so forth in, in in various parts of of those cities. Is that an ongoing trend? Do you think around Ireland as such?
3: Yeah, no, definitely. So we're seeing a lot of companies um, who are using both remote working and then flexible working, workspace exactly, yeah. uh, in tandem. Mm. So. Um, so they would encourage their workers to use like for instance a co-working space but then give them the flexibility to, to work from home so I think that's just a lot of what employees are looking for these days uh, they're looking for flex that flexibility from their employer uh, and they're looking to work on their own terms where possible and that's has always been prevalent in, especially in the technology sector, um, but, and now we're seeing it with uh, the competitive landscape, we're seeing that kind of spread into to other sectors now too.
1: Uh, there's been changes all over, but actually, what I'm going to do, Joe, I'm going to actually take you back about a decade because when I when I first met you, you were in traditional estate agency mm-hmm. about a decade ago, and those were difficult times. So, um, really, I'm interested to know what you saw a decade ago that maybe other estate agents in the same marketplace simply didn't see?
3: Um, well, a decade ago I would say that I didn't see anything at all because before I, before I started Iconic I actually had two um, I was a partner in one estate agency practice and I, then I had my own one on my own so uh, I didn't really see anything a decade ago uh, I suppose it was then probably six years ago that uh, I would have identified I suppose what I saw as a gap in the market at that time so when I had a Bespoke which was an estate agents, we had a shop on Lower Bagot Street there. We had a lot of people calling in, looking for office space because we were so centrally located. And from that, I was connecting these possible tenants with flexible workspace operators. Uh, and from that, I were was... Were there
1: many in the marketplace
3: at that time? Yeah, there was a, there was quite a lot. I suppose it seems to be, a lot of people think it's a new phenomenon, but there's been a lot of people in Ireland that have been doing it for decades mm. before me. Um, but I suppose from getting that valuable feedback from connecting those those people with the operators, I was getting people come back saying oh the places are too small or they're too old or they're not vibrant enough so I was getting a lot of these feedback and then I was finding there was nowhere that I could refer them to so um from there I suppose I would I needed additional space for my own estate agency business and I found uh, a lovely building on Lower Bagot Street but I only needed a couple of the rooms
0: Now did you, did you know about this sort of
3: office um, space renting as such Yeah so I would have only known it I had never worked in it but mm-hmm. I had known it because I was referring these tenants into into flexible workspace operators mm-hmm. um, so I, I kind of understood what was happening in the sector It's sort of hot desking isn't it? Um, well this would have been more at that stage less kind of open place spaces and hot desks and more in office at Mm. that stage. Oh, I see. Um, And uh, so when I would have took that building then I would have just took uh, a couple of offices for myself, put in a boardroom, uh, refurbished the building and I think before we had even opened the building I had the entire building left and that was really just You bought the building then? So so we would operate just a fully a leasing model model. Yeah, Yeah. kind of similar to a lot of the the hotel models Um, and I think the fact that it was rented, all rented before uh, before we moved in was kind of testament that the model worked and um, and commercial. how did they find out I mean so word o- of mouth. I had the estate agency practice so I was obviously advertising offices oh, okay, through yeah, that anyway right, right. so I had a little a little insider knowledge there and uh, so we were in the, uh, we were in the office game so to speak but not as an operator more as just uh, as a typical estate agent so we were just advertising the properties in the normal way across the platforms or people coming into the shop
0: uh, what's your typical tenant I mean is that is that what you call them
3: tenant or client yeah well uh, more clients, you Client, would yeah, call them, okay, yeah, okay, uh, or members. Um, so I suppose there is no typical. So we would have a lot of the large technology companies that you would uh, that you would know when you think of Ireland would be would be our clients, um, but that would be on the larger side, uh, and on the smaller side, it would be right down to just one per, one person, indigenous companies who maybe left our company and were setting up on their own, and then literally everything in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the,
1: Actually, Joe, is that something that's changed in the last five years? Are Thereabouts, because about five or six years ago, there was certainly a perception that it was startups or small businesses that went into um, co-working spaces. Um, or, you know, if it was an Irish-based employee of an international company. Whereas now, you're, you're letting quite significant amount of space to the same company. So, they're not necessarily small businesses at all that are, that are your members at the moment.
3: Yeah, no, I think that, that's fair to say. For, um, a lot of, for a lot of operators, they focus on particular parts of the market. For us, community is all about just having it as diverse as possible. So, we're not focused on any particular sector. But definitely, we would see that as a trend. Uh, I think in the last, certainly in the last couple of years, a lot more corporate swinging towards. making flexible workspace a part of their real estate portfolio. Uh, it depends on the company how much, what percentage that should uh, take up but they're definitely looking at it as uh, a part of their portfolio which they can then contract in when times are bad and then expand when times are good or when they have uh, projects that they might need to kind of tool up for.
1: But is there a difficulty when a trend looks like it's working there's almost a difficulty there that um, you can make it look easy. So I, I do believe there's operators out there um, in the Dublin market and otherwise that think it's all just about opening a large office and allocating space whereas there's so much more behind it so can you maybe give us some insights from the operational side of running these these offices and these centres
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I can give you one example. So um, we're opening a new building on Thomas Street at the moment. It's due to open this month called The Masonry. Like that building has been in the planning stages internally within the company for the last three years. Um, It's been on site, I would say, Maybe the last mm, six to nine months. Um, is so this your
1: first office outside of Dublin
3: too? Uh, currently, it would be our only office outside of Dublin too. Yeah, so we've been essentially. Really well, there's reasons for that, obviously. Yeah, well, the reason is that a lot of our clients, um, we would be at the higher end of the market, and a lot of our clients really they just want to be in the city centre. Sure. That's what their staff of want. Course, that's what yeah. they expect, yeah. and they want to yeah. be close to transport links and amenities. So we've been just trying to deliver what the clients have been looking for. And um, more recently, we've actually had quite a number of tenants that have, we saw the flow towards Dublin 8 and I suppose we took the bet three years ago uh, with our partner in the project that that area was going to come on and the changes on Thomas Street itself is phenomenal. There's a lot of well-known operators like the likes of Press Up or Casey Peaches that have all uh, spilled onto the street. So uh, I suppose we saw that wave of what was uh, coming and I, I suppose we, we bet on it. Um, but I, a lot of people think you just go in and you fit out a, a building in ten weeks and you open the doors and that's it done so I suppose that one's an example of where we're in the weeds for the last Speaking three years which,
1: give
0: us an idea now what you provide I mean you obviously provide the desk and the chair
3: yeah exactly so um, we we'll provide so uh, co-working space which can be uh, kind of like a gym membership so you can come in you can sit wherever you want there's desks there's lounge areas and kitchen facilities so you can just come in and work from wherever you want we also do dedicated desks so that's a fixed desk with your own piece of lockable st- uh, storage that nobody else can sit at and then we Wi-fi. would Yeah, exactly, and then obviously private offices, meeting rooms, and event spaces. Um, No phones. I take it. Obviously. Yeah, we can do whatever whatever the client wants. We'll do it. it. So from whether it's phones and furniture, artwork, um, full to true to full custom builds. So we've done uh, custom builds for companies as large as three hundred workstations, so three hundred desks. So complete design. If they want specific offices or artwork or particular floor finishes um, to fall in line with their international. brand standards whatever they need with we'll uh, and so what, what
0: about the freelance engineer the freelance journalist or the freelance whatever who just wants to pop in for a day or two and then move on somewhere else to another city another country maybe it, the, the, that, those facilities
3: are there as well yeah for sure so we'll do we have just different memberships akin to a gym I suppose so we can do you know your full time always on membership or your more fa- flexible um, shall we say part time memberships and then you can just pay for one off day passes as well so oh, it's kind I of a say, completely yeah. so flexible arrangement yeah, yeah, depending yeah. on what best suits the client Hmm.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. um, Joe, while I have you in studio, I have to talk about one of what I think is synonymous with iconic offices and that is the design. Okay. I think the design across the suite of iconic offices and um, offering is something that really hasn't been seen or wasn't um, seen in the Dublin market before. So can you talk to me a little bit about the design side of things? Yeah,
3: I can try. So I think, uh, I think it falls back to when I was getting that feedback right at the very outset. That was when we were starting to see the Facebooks and the Googles come through with their office design and there was a lot of let's say predominantly technology companies that wanted the same feeling for their company but obviously didn't have the capital to do it or the the size of property to do it Um, so I think it was taking that and then taking I suppose my kind of interest in design as well and just really trying to build out spaces that I'd love to work from well the first one I did work from so build out spaces that I'd love to be in my company would love to be in and then I just said if I'm willing to put my own money into it I bet there's going to be 10 or 20 or 30 people in behind me that are also going to back it with their money and like that was the strategy from the very outset and I suppose it continues to work to this day albeit that there's a few other people trying to replicate it and a few other companies coming in from outside of Ireland also absolutely Absolutely. (coughs) and that
1: actually again that's something that's topical at the moment Um, we've spoken about Talent Garden and WeWork and others opening in Dublin how are you finding the increased competition and and by the way from international and indigenous companies in this space
3: yeah it's coming from all sides at the Mm. moment Um, but like I think the international I, I think to be honest the more people that come in the better Um, it's going to just grow like the sector is going to grow exponentially this year um, with the arrival of the international competitors which are coming in um, which for us as an indigenous player is a good thing I think we're just repositioning our place in the market to ensure that we can kind of capitalise on that so particularly the larger international companies have a particular price point and part of the market that they like to hit so uh, they're going to suck a lot of new companies into the funnel a lot of companies from conventional space into a flexible workspace, and we just want to be there when they want to progress out of that operator's offering. That we're there and ready to take them up. So. When when you see a sector grow with such significance, there's a lot of opportunities in that, and I suppose it's just up to the indigenous company who knows the streets best to capitalise on that.
1: Okay, so where do you see where do you see future trends? Like, where is this going? Because you might be familiar with um, recent news on WeWork, and you know certainly their funding model and finances have have come under scrutiny um, in recent weeks. So. Where do you see, from an Irish perspective, and particularly um, across the main urban urban areas, where do you see the trend of co-working um, going?
3: Yeah, well, I think, I suppose, co-working and flexible workspace is here to stay. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the main drivers behind that is that if you're looking to rent an office in Dublin city centre, which might be conventional space, the landlord's typically looking for 12 to 15 years term certain. So no break options within 12 to 15 is years. Still,
1: is that still market standard? Yeah, that's
3: still market standards. Like we're looking at properties and they're the terms that you're looking at with a with a fairly strong covenant. So that's what's happening in the city centre. And for most companies, they don't know where they're going to be in three or four years, never mind 10 or 12 years. So I suppose from that one Point in the Irish market shows that a lot of people just want the flexibility um, uh, to be able to adapt as their business needs, and not as their landlord requires. Okay, but
1: um, uh, is it a landlord requirement, or is it the landlord's bank's requirement?
3: Um, it would be both. Um, so um, it would be, I suppose, what's good for one is good for the other. To be honest, in reality, so look, it's not—it's nobody's fault. It's their job to capitalize on their asset, which they've obviously put a lot of money into, and that is their business is to get the longest possible term.
0: Just from the point of view of listeners uh, listening in out at the moment, what what type of, uh, of business person should we say would would would, would, would it be a starter person that would be that doesn't want to particularly invest in, in in four walls and a floor, or is it what type of what what type of person is best uh, for your type of business? Would so, you
3: think? Uh, who we would who would we who we would strategically uh, chase after would be FDI so for our direct investment coming into oh, Ireland okay. so that would be kind of first and foremost who we'd be targeting so there'd be a lot of the larger west coast technology companies um, using Ireland as their okay. springboard into That's Europe um, so that would be our kind of our first tier then you would have your uh, larger indigenous companies large Irish companies and then you would have your smaller kind of start up um, so the answer is not to avoid the question, there is no typical makeup, and I suppose... Well I suppose what I'm trying to ask you is, is it, would it be economical for the small businessman to... Uh, 100% yeah. very economical So, like, As opposed to investing be, in his own yeah, and if renting we, If we talk money on it, if we talk dollars and cents for a moment on it, um, if we have someone who's thinking about setting up their own business and they're looking for um, a workspace they can come in, take a co worker membership come in um, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day there is free beer, free coffee, they get their breakfasts are free and it's t- like two hundred and ninety-five euros per Brian, month.
1: I, Joe, I, I feel like these questions have gone beyond an interview and more <laughs> in. for, more for an inquiry here. Brian, are you thinking of, of moving base?
0: Well, no, not quite. No, <laughs> I'm just trying trying to get it ascertain what you know how best at yeah. uh, the small businessman could be entertained by yourself in terms of
3: office accommodation. Yeah, exactly. So it's a it's, person should I say? Yeah, for those people who are just looking to get a base as quickly as possible, it lets them get established literally immediately at a very low cost point. So it's here to stay. That is for sure, Basically yeah. And speaking. I think the the trend suggests it, and I think it's what the what's what the occupiers want. Your future expectations then for iconic and, and the future? That's a good question. Um, I think we've got two uh, buildings which are we're opening kind of over the course of the next three months, which will see us um, increase the size of the business by fifty percent. So that is the uh, what we're focusing front and foremost, yeah. and and then we're working on our next set of buildings here in Dublin. So can you tell us
1: where the second one is? or The first one's the masonry.
3: So, yeah, so the masonry, which is. Um, Uh, on Thomas Street just uh, stone's throw from Christchurch there and the other one is on South Richmond Street um, directly opposite the Bernard Shaw pub so
1: just off Harcourt Road great and the one in Thomas Street that's due to open this month
3: yeah opening this month
1: what are the interiors like because I know that that's um is it a protected or a listed building?
3: Yeah, so it's beyond the building register, it's not it's not a fully listed building. But you're looking at a historical uh, Victorian building to the front, and then a brick and beam warehouse to the rear. So it's a really unusual space, and and the attention to detail on the interior is 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 excellent.
1: Can can you give us a hint of what we can expect? Then have you carried that the have you carried the history of the building into
3: the interior? Yeah, no, definitely. So we always respect uh, the interior architecture. And we love old buildings I think that's one of our speciality Um, and I think that really comes true in the interior so you'll have to come in and check it out
1: Listen, thank you so much for coming in and we must arrange a tour to go visit the masonry and if anybody is looking for co-working space um, across Dublin 2 and now indeed Dublin 8 contact Iconic Offices
3: Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9 This is Dublin South FM
1: and welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com.
0: Okay, well our next guest now is Will O'Reilly. He's owner of Domaview. I've got that right? you D- uh, yes. Domaview, okay. So we'll, thank you for joining us and, and coming to the studio, Will. Now, most associate virtual reality with war games, but you're using it for other uses. Can you explain what it is?
4: Um, yeah, it, it really does suit the uh, the gaming industry, all right. Um, what we're using it for is residential property, uh, mostly, but also commercial um, property, um, museums, um, industrial properties. So very much what we're concentrated as, on is interior spaces. Okay, you put
0: the mask on then and so forth, do you? Or well,
4: you can do, yes. Yeah, so how, how does it work? Just explain to viewers, how, our two <laughs> listeners, excuse me, what how how it works so uh, we have a special camera Uh, it has three cameras it has three distance meters and and three scanners Um, the cameras are the easy part of it Um, but basically it spins around and it takes photographs and it it takes like what's called a point cloud it it builds up a uh, map of the entire space that you're shooting and then you move it around and anywhere you move it to within a space then a person can can look at Um, and then once it's ready it takes us usually you know a, a, like a normal sized house it takes us one to two hours to shoot usually it takes us 24 hours to turn around mm-hmm. uh, once it's finished it's, it's ready to view on a mobile phone on an iPad any device really and then you can take your mobile phone and you can put it into VR mode so if you have a headset you just click a special button and you stick it into the headset uh, it can be a simple or, or a or more intricate headset and you, you, you put that on um, and
0: our estate, estate agents using this now? Who is a typical user for it now?
4: Yeah, so uh, we uh, have a lot of estate agents who who work with us. and uh, like home, some homeowners come to us directly, um, some builders. Uh, so for for new developments, they'll come to us. Uh, say, you know, for new developments, they might have four or five different types of houses or apartments. So we'll maybe shoot all of them, or maybe shoot three of them.
0: So I, I go into this office, and I can see then exactly how the whole layout is of the of the building.
4: Yeah, you can you can look at it on your phone. So it's it it's integrated into Daft, uh, integrated into my home. Uh, you can we can give people the embed codes for their own websites, whether that's the estate agent's website themselves, or whether it's the developer's website of of that. Like if it's a big development, they'll have that. And how's
0: it website. developing? Is it becoming popular with with the users at the moment?
4: It's becoming very popular. So um, we've had the technology here in Ireland for about four and a half years. It's been in the United States before that, like maybe about six years. Um, so we're lagging a little bit behind them, um, and it's it, it's it's really starting to gain traction now, especially in new new developments, um, because I suppose there's a marketing budget for it there. Um, but as people are seeing it as there's more exposure to it than people, I suppose, buyers are asking for it. Um, and it's 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 becoming more of a ubiquitous thing.
1: Okay, it's interesting to know that buyers are asking, that are, they're actually looking to view properties in this way because it doesn't surprise me at all that property developers are very forward thinking because they, they understand their asset class and their market. Um, with estate agents, they seem to be a little bit slow to, to use this technology, given that it is so readily available, has that been in your experience?
4: It's it's. I suppose they they're working. Um, a, a lot of estate agents are, are very positive about it. Um, we have found, I suppose, if they're trying to get an instruction from a, a homeowner selling their property, it's it's a big ask to to ask them to spend. You know, three to four hundred euros more on more more marketing material, which this is. Uh, now we would say the value of it really does pay back. In in, in sounds in, in, super super. You yeah, know, it really does. So so just as regards <clears throat> to, to to get people to, to you know drive some uh, people to, to to see the property to generate excitement around it, but also to uh, get get more people bidding on a property. It really is as proved very effective
1: yeah look it's absolutely the way I think that um, consumers want to be able to even or house hunters want to be able to shortlist properties so um, I, I think I mentioned before you know we tend to consider this technology for people who are living outside of Ireland and house hunting back in Ireland but the reality is even if you're sitting in Dublin you don't particularly want to spend half an hour four or five minutes in traffic after a long day at work mm. and try to get parking in order to view a property so in fact it's a great way for um, maybe house hunters to take a look at a property sees it really something they want to they want to look at and you know one of the criticisms I think of virtual reality somebody said that um, you know it's not the same as walking through and actually I take the view that you know you're right it's not the same as walking through because you're doing it in the privacy of your own home you're not being watched you can linger on things like the skirting boards or the architrave or, or elements like that. So on you your can laptop. Really, yeah, you can really view in your own time. Um, so I see this as a superb way. And in fact, after working as a buyer's agent and house hunter for almost a decade, I can utterly see the value. And I wish this was available back then when I was doing that, as opposed to driving to Port Leash or Westport or wherever it was. Can we
0: just ask me, how did you get involved, Joe? I'm really sorry, I, I will. How did, how did you come up with the idea yourself? Did you. Did you...
4: So so it's a technology that uh, I, I just researched. It was introduced to me by a friend. Uh, we oh, it was introduced to you. yeah, and it wasn't available here at the time. Was so, it not? This um, four and a half years ago. We went to the states uh, oh, um, okay. and procured it there and, and brought it back here. Um, and you know, we we kind of had a free run at the market for a good while. Um, and
0: what, and did you have any difficulty uh, educating, shall we say, uh, users in terms of how to use it and and how it can benefit their business? I don't know how costly it is, but I mean, yes. obviously, make it e- economic sense to, to, to use this. It to, to it's to it's
4: uh, you know, it's, I suppose it's it's a difficult thing to talk about, but to describe it's 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 uh, w- you have to get it in front of people and get them using it. Yeah, yeah, it. it's it's yeah, very intuitive yeah. once it's in front of it's you. Like the
0: cars, not you have yeah, to see the and car and get into it and feel yeah, it.
4: Uh, and that's the way people expect things mm. these days. With mm. with you know, Apple, Apple have changed the way that like devices don't come with instructions anymore. Right. You, you 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 open up um, a, a virtual tour and. You can walk around straight away. It's it's like Google Street View inside. So so people know to tap the screen and and, and they go walking around. There's a there's a dollhouse view then to see the whole property in 3D. Um, just to come back to you know buyers and uh, like what you know stories that we get back is from estate agents that uh, uh, buyers will separate. Say a couple will separate on a Saturday morning because they, they might have five properties they want to see. So they'll walk around the property with their phone, videoing it so that they can show they can remind themselves of what it looked like, but also they can show their spouse uh, later on, and and then they decide, okay, we'll we'll go and see that again or something. And it's, so
1: it's in they're taking a divide and conquer approach to these open viewings on a Saturday morning. Yeah,
4: because they, there's no virtual tour, so it's they like go- Hunger Games. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it, this solves a lot of problems for 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 buyers just to so many of them that I've met have gone wow, why isn't this on every property? It would save us yeah. so much time and we could just really hone in on one or two properties and, and, and start bidding on them.
1: Which would really actually save the estate agent's time on holding a, an excessive number of open viewings or trying to accommodate an additional number of viewings because yeah. if people saw, you know, like, there's, you still have a scenario where, you know, people will arrive at a house and once they walk through the hallway, they know it's not right for them. Yeah. They'll go through the motions of walking through the house, but you know by their face, you know by the body language, the estate agent knows... um this person is not a fan of the property and that's exactly the kind of thing that that you would know if you actually were able to access a virtual reality tour mm-hmm. have we any idea of what proportion of properties on the market at the moment have this facility available
4: in in Ireland it would be less than five percent maybe something like two percent yes yeah uh, it is pretty low so uh, is there much competition and I mean have you got the market yourself then for- um there's a bit of competition uh, mainly we have the market I suppose because we were Early because we have um, some uh, partnerships with we, we do a, a feature for the journal uh, which is sponsored by the KBC, KBC. it's uh, KBC's Experience Your World. This is the online project. newspaper, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's it's a it's a feature There's of it, a property uh, yeah. mm. every week. Um, so we know all the estate agents. So in, you've know-how, uh, in other words, through through that. Um, and I suppose, yeah, like. We, we started with very, very intricate property. So we've shot the Natural History Museum in Dublin, which is massive. And it's, it's, it's got lots of features which are very difficult for this type of system to shoot. So we, you know, we have a lot of learnings and a lot of... So uh, the
1: Natural History Museum? Yeah. Ah, That's I actually, I visited that last year for the first time in decades. It's fabulous. I've been telling everybody oh, yeah. to go You're visit. So, is yeah. there a
4: virtual yeah. tour of that on their website? Yeah, you can see all four floors. So, the second floor is uh, there's there's no wheelchair access to the second yeah. floor. There's um, and and the two balcony levels above that. There's no access for anybody um, because the balconies are a little bit too low. There's some fire safety issues. Yeah. There's there's a dodo up there, which you know <laughs> you, you can you can see in virtual reality now. So that's good.
1: And is the virtual reality tour of the upper floors as well? Yes, because I'm not going to get anybody into trouble but I happened to get a tour of the only because I had my very cute grandson or godson godson (laughs) with me and uh, he really he really wanted to see a penguin so we were given access we were given access to see the penguin so um, I'm
0: I'm going to look at that tour (laughs) you you could be in the travel business as well couldn't you uh, with with this type of um,
4: so yeah we've started again it's it's in beta still at the moment Uh, it's a website called dublin3d.com where we're populating uh, a map of Dublin with tourist spots so yeah. we've you know there's the Guinness Storehouse in there uh, just shot it, it's not on that yeah but we just shot it last night the Trinity the the Long haul in Trinity uh, the library um, but any
0: lo- tourist would love to see the, the Natural History absolutely. Museum absolutely yes. that's why I'm just um, thinking there's that.
4: the Archaeology Museum the 1916 exhibition and the Decorative Arts Museum as well we've shot that and so.
1: Will are you involved in the Smart Dublin or Smart Docklands um, they, have a, they have an ongoing programme it's an open source programme at the moment where they're essentially mapping Dublin City. Are you involved in that?
4: No, no. But oh, I
1: definitely recommend you go along and take a look at what they're doing because there are a number of collaborators all coming together to map Dublin City. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So we, you have a situation because it's open source that there can be layering on it. Great. So um, I, I definitely recommend anybody in the VR space to go along.
0: might may, may have put it to you earlier on, but do you think is a reluctance by um, state people um, at whatever size they might be, corporate or, or, or residential, to take on your service,
4: um, <clears throat> like I, 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 thought that at first. I suppose uh, where I, I, everybody, you know, wants to have as much control as as they can around the process, and uh, you know, apparently years ago, floor plans were too much information to be giving out. Right, so right, uh, right, this right. is a lot of information to be giving out to the public, but so many in, agents in terms have embraced of what now uh, well, uh, what's the information well, well uh, like uh, as regards to controlling the narrative around a property Okay. where people can if they walk around themselves there's, there's they're not being told about the area or, or uh, oh you know. I see uh, yes but yeah, so
0: they have to find out for themselves
4: in relation to well I think they, they do anyway Yeah, you know, you've got Street yeah. View um, so this is the interior version of that uh, it's, it's what people want these days is what people Expect uh, people are digital natives um, um, of all ages, really. So, but, you know, but, the,
0: but the consumer will obviously do the research anyway, despite whether
4: it's on physically work or walking. Yeah, or, or, well, or they'll still go and see the property. <clears throat> yeah, this is the thing. But uh, for an estate agent, they get pre-qualified leads. They get really well qualified leads through the door. Right. Then. Yeah. they're yeah. not wasting their own time. They're not wasting the time of the homeowner staging the property every single Saturday. Uh, that's where. People really do get annoyed uh, if if it goes on and on. So um, it's you know it, it's it's it, it has been embraced. It's it's just a matter of it. Um, I think estate agents convincing homeowners that that they need to outlay a little bit more and. But we come back too to with, them in with space. The pressure uh,
0: on 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 uh, home buyers to 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 look at properties? Well, I mean they have to look at a wide, wide range of properties now before they can
4: get find one. Yeah, in uh, this market. Yeah, uh, people's time is limited. limited.
1: Yeah. Also earlier in the week, actually, there was a report that um, properties at the upper end of the market in Dublin are really the, the upper end of the market is quite stagnant. So in fact, this might be a way for sellers if their property has been sitting on the market to separate themselves from from the pack and do something a little bit. Special, especially for homeowners when they know their property has something a little bit special to offer, whether it's a double height entryway or you know whatever special features. It's a way to really showcase those special features.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well thanks, thanks so much for coming in. That was Will O'Reilly, owner of Doma View. Uh, as I say, well thanks for coming in and being with us on the show on Property Matters today. And that's it from us in studio today. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, show where Property Matters. Uh, you can get in touch with the show by well, but that's uh, that shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> that's be uh, glad we have there, Carl.
1: Okay. Listen, we want to thank all of our guests for being with us on the show today. Uh, next week, we'll be speaking to Jason Denham, owner of the new Irish branch of kitchen design and installation business, Schmidt. So, a quick reminder to listeners that CETA, that's the Construction IT Alliance, have a seminar on immersive technologies for the construction industry at 8am tomorrow. Um, that's happening down at um, Bank of Ireland, Grand Canal Place. So, check the CETA website to see if there's tickets still available. Um, also, the Executive Summit takes place in Clontarf Castle this Friday and will feature a joint uh, housing panel from the public and private sector. So, I will be out of the country myself next week, so Gavin Gallagher of TV will keep my seat warm next week. But for now, thanks to Shane Flynn, who is on Sound, producer Katie Tallon, and we'll be back at the same time next week. Stay tuned for Bowl of Soul, which is coming up. So, from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon, have a good week.